Good morning. Good to see those that are here. We've got a few people that are missing today, some that are sick. I want to continue to pray for all that were mentioned this morning. Thank you once again for your songs. Good job with that. Cameron, thank you for your comments at the table. Good job. Hebrews 12 chapter is what we're going to take a look at today. The title of the lesson is A Choice Between Two Mountains. And I think you'll come to understand why that title is up there once we get into this. And I'll go ahead and pray up this introduction slide. Hebrews chapter 12 is really kind of the closing of this letter. Chapter 13 is actually the final close, but in Hebrews 12, he's, he's drawing it to a close. And as he reaches Hebrews 12, he's going to draw this contrast between two mountains. And we'll see how that works out in just a moment. And so the readers are being encouraged to make the right choice between those two. And the points that I want us to cover today in this lesson is run with endurance, relating to holiness, and then choose wisely. Now, let me tell you, this is kind of an outline of actually the entire chapter in Hebrews chapter 12. So you'll see why uh, I kind of use those points as we go along because isn't it amazing the way the Holy Spirit writes that the latter part of the chapter is connected to the first part of the chapter. So if you're going to understand the latter part, then you have to also know something about that first part. And so that's the reason why we'll talk about run with endurance. That's early on. Relating to holiness, that's about the middle of the chapter. And then choose wisely is kind of how he wraps it up there towards the latter end of that. I want us to start this morning. I'm going to read from Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 18 and 19. So we can kind of get this in our mind. And then we'll uh, go back and we'll back up to the first part of the chapter. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, 18 and 19, and then verses 22 through 23. Beginning at verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words of those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Two mountains. There's one that is depicted as this smoke and darkness and trembling, and then he says, you have come to Mount Zion, and he lists all the things that are included there. And so we'll kind of see how those two things compare and why he uses that illustration. But we're going to talk about run the race, pursue holiness, and then choose between these two mountains. I want to back up and begin with Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are surrounded. If you read in chapter 11, you'll see who that is. This great cloud of witnesses, these people that serve God faithfully from the Old Testament. And he says, it's like now that we are surrounded by this great, this great cloud of witnesses. 
And as we start to run this race, he's encouraging us to look to Jesus. But not only look to Jesus, he says, I want you to run with endurance. The suggestion being that you might get weary and that you might give up. So remember, there are others who have run this race. And they're watching. And this is to be an encouragement. And look at Jesus, what He did, and how He ran that race. And then stay the course. That's what He suggested. These are words of encouragement. It's what the Hebrew writer is starting chapter 12 with. Because as he writes this letter in its entirety, he's writing to Jewish Christians that are in danger of either going back to the old law or they are in danger of falling away. And so as he's kind of bringing all this together, that's why chapter 12 begins with that, therefore, therefore remember that there's this cloud of witnesses. Remember Jesus and what he endured. And he endured the cross, he despised the shame, but now... He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. There's something that is awaiting him. There's something that is awaiting you. And you want to keep that in mind. And you want to run with endurance. So chapter 12 is really the summary of everything that's gone before up to that time. And he comes to this therefore. And he's told him about Jesus. He's told them about how Jesus is better than the angels. He's told them about how Jesus is better than Moses. He's told them about how Jesus is better than the high priest. He's told them about how Jesus' blood is a better sacrifice. He's told them about how Jesus offers a better covenant. And he's told them how he offers better promises. All of these things are better. So therefore, stay the course. And as you run this race, look to Jesus. Run with endurance. Yes, you're going to encounter troubles and difficulties and trials, but don't give up. And so it's a word of encouragement. I want you to kind of get this image in mind for just a moment. Sometimes when I think about this, I think about, say, high school. And there's that track out there, right? And you come out of the locker room and you step on that track, and if the stands are filled, And you have people there who are supporting, they're cheering for you. And you look down that track, but in this case, it's not just hurdles, there's obstacles. And you're going to run this race, there's going to be those who are cheering for you, but you're going to encounter some things that are going to be difficult, but you look at one who's already done it successfully and you remember how he did it, And you're encouraged to do that. But there's also something else that you keep in mind. In this race, it's not just a destination that you're trying to reach. In this race, there's also a transformation that is going to take place. This race is going to change you. In fact, you have to be aware of that fact that this race is going to change you because that's what's going to help you reach that destination. So look at Jesus. Keeping Him in mind. Ramathan Nurse. 
But he also says something else at the beginning of that that we kind of just want to throw in as we move down through the first part of this chapter. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, oftentimes whenever we read about that, lay aside that weight and that sin, we often kind of tie those two things together, but that's not necessarily connected. (laughs) Because that weight may or may not be sinful. Do you know there are things in this life that we can be involved in that becomes a distraction in us running a race? I can remember one time seeing, you know, how people were familiar with horse races. But there's also, (laughs) this is kind of funny, dog races. Ever seen those? (laughs) I saw this one occasion where the greyhounds started around the track and they're running. And then this rabbit ran out on the track. And you know what those dogs did? (laughs) They're after that rabbit. We forgot about the finish line. That's what he's saying. There can be things that are a distraction. Not necessarily sinful, but they're a distraction. And so just briefly, we might think about work, or we might think about things, or any of those pursuits that we might have. But it just takes your focus. And so sometimes along the way we can develop bad habits and we need to develop good habits. Let me give you one right quick. As a group, we decide it would be a good habit. We come together upon the first day of the week and we worship, but in addition to that, we come at other times and we study together. Is that a good habit? Yeah, it is. But does everybody take advantage of it? No, they don't. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying, think about it. (laughs) It's a good habit. And you ought to develop good habits. And so sometimes we can develop bad habits. And we're too involved with other things. And we can become distracted. So here's the point, just very briefly, in those first few verses, those opening verses. What the Hebrew writer is saying is, you have Apart. So in this race, don't ever forget that it's going to take your effort and you have a part. Now, I want us to skip down because we're headed towards the latter part of this chapter, but we want to get there and we watch how he connects the dots. I want to skip down to about verse 9 and 10. It says, Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of our spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But for our profit, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You see what he just did? So actually what he's doing is he's he's giving us an illustration. And this is where that transformation part of the race starts to come into play here. So you, on the track, being focused, putting forth every effort, and now there's somebody who's going to assist you. And you know who it is that's going to assist you? It's the Father of our spirits. It's God Himself. He's going to to help you. 
And he uses this illustration. And what he's saying is, as you were a child, as you were growing up, you had earthly fathers, a parental figure, and they were helping you to grow and they were helping you to mature. And somewhere along the line, they had to encourage you and sometimes they had to discipline you so that you might be able to grow up and on your own handle life. Come to maturity. And so now he says, why not much more? be in subjection to the Father of our spirits so that we might become partakers of His holiness. Can you see that? It's that transformation. So as you run, you also become like Him. So now you're looking at Jesus. You see the things that He endured And not only do I want to reach him, as I run towards him, I want to become like him. And do you know who's going to help you get there? It's God. Could you ask for any better training partner than that? And he's the one that wants to help you. So you can become partakers. Of his holiness. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Philippians? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then we talked about Philippians chapter 1, where God begun this work in you, and Paul says, I'm confident he will complete that work. That's what he's talking about. He wants us to become conformed. Romans 8, verse 29. The goal is to become conformed to the image of his son. But now listen. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect result, that you might be made perfect, complete, mature. So sometimes, that assistance might come through blessings. Sometimes that assistance in running the race and becoming like His Son may have to come in the form of challenges and trials in order to develop character. So it's destination, but it's transformation. Now verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did the writer just up the stakes or what? You pursue peace with all people. And that peace there is not just any kind of peace. This is the kind of peace that we know that we can have with others. In spite of persecution, that's what they were going through. But if my relationship was right with the Lord, I could still be at peace. And he says, you pursue peace and you pursue holiness without which you will not see the Lord. So it's not like we become Christians And then it's just like, okay, I obeyed the gospel. I was baptized. I'm good to go. (laughs) 
I'll meet you at the pearly gates. And he said, no. That's not the way this works. No, you pursue holiness. Without which, you don't see God. He just up the stakes. I guess I should be serious about this. So we have to stop and think. God wants to shape holiness within me, within us. So we put forth an effort. God helps us. And this is where we're headed. That's the first part of Hebrews 12. Now verse 18 through 21. For you have not come, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now think about that just so far. Hebrews chapter 12. So we're running this race. We're looking to Jesus. We're putting forth our effort. God's helping us. And then all of a sudden, there's this mountain. So did the imagery just change? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) A minute ago, I was just an athlete running around the track. (laughs) Looking at Jesus. Trying to do my best. And God helping me. And now all of a sudden we're talking about this mountain that's dark and black and smoke and fire and shaking and trembling and people are scared. Scared. So what the writer does when he comes to that point, he assumes you know the story. (laughs) Because those who would have been reading this, they would know the story. And so they would follow his line of reasoning. So we have to know the story so that we understand what the writer is talking about. And so he's talking about this mountain that they came to. And that mountain is Sinai. Back up for just a moment when God originally called Abraham. He told Abraham, you're going to have a son. That son was Isaac. That son had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And some of those brothers got together and decided they would be a good idea to sell one of the sons to a bunch of slave traders. He ends up down in Egypt, but God is with him. And then lo and behold, after a number of years, this brother that has been sold into slavery and has gone through all trials, kinds of trials, difficulties, he finally rises to second in command and over the whole, all of Egypt. <laughs> and now there's a famine. And that same family, those same brothers, now have to come hat in hand down to Egypt begging so they might have grain. And Joseph recognizes them. I'm skipping forward in the story, but Joseph recognizes them. And then eventually he reveals himself to them. They are now really concerned. (laughs) He is second in command 
and he's the one we sold into slavery. But it's really interesting what Joseph says in chapter 50 of Genesis. He says, I know that you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good to save many lives. God took bad situation, brought it to a positive outcome. The entire family ends up moving down to the land of Egypt, to the land of Goshen, and that's where they become a multitude of people, and everything is going great until another Pharaoh arises who does not know Joseph, and then he enslaves these people. And they cry out. And eventually God sends Moses. And we remember the ten plagues. And we remember the dividing of the Red Sea. And we remember Moses leading over a million people out into the Sinai Desert until they finally come to that mountain. And now, God wants to make a covenant with these people. And He tells them, I'm a holy God. And I want you to be a holy people. Can you see just a little connection between that and Hebrews, the 12th chapter? <laughs> this is what I am. This is what I want you to be. And through you, I'll be a witness to all the nations. What life can be like living under my rule. A holy God, a holy people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And you'll be my witnesses. And so that's the offer that is made. And you know what those people said to that offer? Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> we will do that. This is a bunch of ragtag slaves that's been living under Egyptian influence for centuries. And now they have come to the foot of Mount Sinai and they're going to enter into a covenant relationship with a holy God. What is that like? And so you know what God tells Moses? He said, this is what you do. You tell them three days. I'm going to come down on this mountain and I will speak to you. But before that I come down and speak to you, you prepare those people. You get them prepared. You consecrate those people. Now, that's not a word we use every day, is it? You consecrate those people. You tell them to wash. You tell them to wash their clothes. You draw a boundary around this mountain. And you tell them that if they dare touch this mountain or if they cross that line, man, beast, no matter what it is, you will die. You warn them. You prepare them. They're coming into my presence. And so Moses goes. And he tells them. And he prepares them. And on that third day, the Lord descended on that mountain. And there was fire. And there was smoke. And there was lightning. And there was the sound of his voice thundering. And there was the trumpet blast. And the whole earth shook and they fell back. And they begged. We don't want to hear from him anymore. You talk to him, Moses. That's what we just read. 
from Hebrews. That 12th chapter. And it was a terrifying experience. This encounter with God, when unholy people strive to come into the presence of a holy God, it can be dreadful. It can be terrifying. But it's paradoxical. That dread, that fear, that exposure to His holiness and His power can help us to see our unholiness and our insignificance. And it's revealing. But it's very beneficial. Scary, but beneficial. It's the same thing today. Sometimes people don't want to hear about God. Sometimes they don't want to hear about His standards. And they think about Him and then they think about self and it's like, draw back. I don't really want to hear it. And for some people, it's kind of scary. I don't want to hear it. But what the Hebrew writer is suggesting is it's beneficial. It may be paradoxical. It may seem scary, but actually that's beneficial. And in Exodus, the 20th chapter, Moses will tell them the reason why God did that was to test you so that you might not sin. So as we as we think about that, what happens when we look at God and when we look at His holiness and His holiness was revealed in Jesus Christ. Because John tells us in the first chapter, in Him was the life, and that life was the light of men. You look at Jesus, that's the way I'm supposed to be. Now there's a choice that we make. I can either push back, go, I, I don't want to see that. Or I can look at that and I can say, wow, I really fall short. So it can be paradoxical. But you know what the benefit of that is? When you look at Jesus Christ, you get a chance to see what you're supposed to be like. I get a chance to see what I'm supposed to be like. And you know what that's telling me? When I look at Jesus Christ, I see the truth. That's life. Because you know what? When we look out here, and we look at all the things that we pursue and chase after, it's like a mirage. Here's Jesus. Here's the truth. Here's reality. But I'm looking out here and I'm chasing after these things. That's not reality. 
You want to see reality? Look at Jesus Christ. That's reality. That's truth. That's life as God intended it for us to be. Created in His image. Can we see that? So Israel came to the foot of Mount Sinai. And God said, If you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you will be a special treasure unto Me and you shall be a kingdom of priests and you shall be a holy nation. But first they had to have this encounter with Him. And they fall back and they tremble. And Moses says, do not fear. God has come to test you that His fear may be be before you and that you might not sin. Now let me ask you, does that sound anything like Hebrews the 12th chapter and verse 9? Because the Hebrew writer says, should we not be subject to the Father of spirits and live? See what he just said? Moses said, he came down, you saw that, so that you might fear. Is that beneficial? At first, I think, "Mm, it's kind of scary. But if you stop and think about it for just a minute, it's like, well, wait a minute, that is beneficial. You know why that's beneficial? Moses says, so that you might not sin. You know what sin brings? Sin brings death. So what did he just tell him? He was testing you. So that you might fear. And so that you might not sin. We've used this illustration before. But we'll use it again. So you live on a busy street and your young child goes out there and you tell them don't do it, but they keep doing it and then pretty soon you have to bring a little fear. (laughs) Do you not? Why would you do that? Because a loving parent says, I want you to live. Can we see that? Be subject to the Father of spirits and live. So we have to understand something about Him and about His holiness and our unholiness. And it can be kind of paradoxical. It's scary, sometimes it's dreadful, but it's beneficial. And so what the Hebrew writer is saying as he moves down through here is think about where you stand in regards to God. He's assuming they know that Old Testament story and why God did that. And then he asks him in verse 18, you have not come to this mountain. You didn't come here, did you? In your encounter with Jesus Christ, getting to know God through Jesus, you didn't didn't come here, did you? You didn't come to a mountain that you can touch, did you? No. But do you know anything about that holy God? Yeah. Because you know that story, don't you? 
And so he's starting to draw this contrast. Think about where you are as a Christian through Jesus Christ. And think about what they went through. And that encounter with the Holy God. There's another time in the Old Testament. It's from Isaiah. Isaiah has this vision and he's in the temple. The glory of the Lord and the smoke fills the temple. And that there are these seraphim that are flying around and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the glory of Him fills the entire earth. And Isaiah being in the presence of Him is scared. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among unclean people. He's terrified of that. So how does that apply to God helping us and in my pursuit of holiness? How does that help? Well, think about it for a moment. He says that we are to pursue holiness and God will help us. And God told Moses, you consecrate those people and you prepare them to come into my presence. In other words, the message for them, the message for those people at that time, you don't just stroll into the presence of God. You ever hear somebody talk about God is my friend? Well, He is our friend. But you ever hear him talk about God like he's my buddy that I run around with, go to baseball games with? God's not your buddy like that. Your buddy's unholy. God is a holy God. And you don't just stroll into his presence. And it can be a very fearful thing if you're not consecrated, if you're not prepared to come into His presence. There's a Hebrew word that is used for that in the Old Testament, and it's the word that was shouted in Isaiah, the 6th chapter. Kadosh. And they're shouting it. Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is frightened. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among unclean people. I recognize I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Hagios, New Testament. Holy English word. But you know what happens? That when we use this word, that sometimes it gets diminished. Sometimes we use it positive, sometimes we use it negative. And the meaning of it gets diminished. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Oh, she thinks she's so holy. (laughs) Or he thinks he's so holy. And it's kind of a negative type thing. And sometimes those kinds of things are hurled at people that are striving to live as they should and, 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 and live morally. And that word holy, it includes that idea of living morally, living pure. And God is totally morally pure and good and righteous. He's all of those things. 
free from sin. But Kadosh carries with it a whole lot more than that. And that's what we need to understand. Kadosh means that something is unique. Holy in its essence means set apart. It means separate. One of a kind. In Isaiah 6, God being holy, unique, separate, set apart. But it's also tied to creation. His glory fills the earth. So as we think about God, He's unique. He has power. And He creates. He created this world. He created this universe. He created everything in it. And He's the one who sustains it. Nobody else can do that. He's holy. He's unique. He's separate. He's set apart. Nobody else can do that. But it also includes those quality of character also. But He's holy. And we need to understand all that. How all all that fits together. So when people come into the presence of such a powerful, pure being, then they realize their own insignificance and their lack of goodness. And I realize I'm not Him. And I realize He gives and I'm selfish. I really realize that He's pure of heart and that I'm impure. And it's like a spotlight that shines, shows brokenness, shows weakness. And it's not pleasant. And people draw back. And that's Sinai. But it's important that you see that. Because before you go to the next mountain, you need to come to this mountain. So it's a reminder that when you approach God, you're approaching a holy God. Hebrew writer says we're to pursue holiness. And yet, as human beings, sometimes we have a response to that, don't we? So there's a God in the Old Testament that is terrifying... And there's a God in the New Testament that is loving and gracious. Which one do you like? (laughs) Well, I like the loving, gracious one. That other one's kind of scary. But we need to understand that both is part of hope. He's separate. He's set apart. He's unique. There's no one else like him. So I think about God and Him assisting me in running that race. And I think I like the one who helps me, but I don't like the one who maybe might hurt me. But I also think about Moses saying, if you're going to come into His presence, you've got to get prepared. You just don't waltz in. 
So sometimes people look at this and not fully understanding God, not understanding holiness and how it all works. Sometimes people get upset when you talk about a holy God. Oh, so I'm not good enough for God. God's going to have to take me the way I am. Or you know what? I don't like the way God's running the universe anyway. I like it when things run according to the way I want them to run. And so that idea of He could harm me, I don't like to think about that. I draw back from that. But what if you come to understand this? That what God does for you is always for your good. Would you start to see it differently then? What if you came to realize your experience in this life is impacted by you? What if you could come to understand that those things that sometimes hurt are actually for your benefit? And that He's always acting in your best interest. What if you could come to understand that? Would you see life a little differently? Would you see yourself a little differently? Would you see God a little differently? And so when you think about God's holiness, you come to understand Him a little bit better. And how He's always wanting to help us. And how that helps us to pursue holiness. So let me give you this illustration. Think about something in your life. Think about something in my life that is totally unique. Anything other? Something that's totally unique, one of a kind. It's in your life and it's in my life and it impacts your life and it impacts my life. You want to know what that is? Walk outside and look up at the sky. You can't see it so well today. (laughs) But there's something that's up there that's totally unique. And it impacts your life and it impacts my life. It's the sun. And in our solar system, there's nothing else like it. And in a sense, you could say it's holy. It's powerful. It's one of a kind. It's separate. It's set apart. And it impacts your life and it impacts my life. We may not see it all the time. But it's there all the time. And I'm so thankful that it is. Because you know what? If it's not there, you know what happens to life on this planet? It ceases. If it's not there, life ceases as we know it. Plant, animal, human being, no matter what it is, if it's not there, we die. You depend on it. I depend on it. So let me ask you this question. 
It's summertime. You go out and you spend too much direct time directly in the sunlight. What happens to you? You get burnt, don't you? And that hurts. So is the sun bad? No, the sun is good. You just didn't acknowledge the way things work. You spend too much time out there directly in the sunlight and you're going to get burnt. sun is 93 million miles away. Do you think you're just going to go strolling up to it? <laughs> no, don't think so. And let me ask you, is it because the sun is intolerant? Is it because the sun's just overbearing? Is it because the sun just wants to control you? Is it because the sun is just being a jerk? We say, well, no. The sun is just being the sun. And it's that way every day. It was that way yesterday. That was that way yesterday. It's that way today. And it'll be that way tomorrow. It's consistent. And the way that my life benefits from it is understanding that consistency and how that works. And you know what we call that? We call that reality. That's reality. You violate that and you get burnt. You acknowledge that and you benefit from it. And sometimes when it's painful, we learn. Don't we? But we don't ever say to the sun, why are you so hot? But sometimes that's what people say to God. Why do you have to be like that? Or do we ever say to the sun, why can't you be a little more like me? Because <laughs> that's what people are essentially saying to God. I don't like the way you run things. You ought to run it the way I think it should be run. And if God could speak to me, or if the Son, if the Son could speak to me, you know what I think He'd say to me sometimes? You think you're the center of the solar system, don't you? <laughs> you think this all revolves around you, don't you? Because <laughs> that's the way you're living. So when we get burned, it reveals either you don't understand how things work or you just disregarded how things work. But that doesn't stop reality from being reality. And so the Hebrew writer says that that initial encounter was terrifying. And Moses says he was testing you so that you might not sin. But he gives a reason. So that you might live. You've got to understand reality. You've got to understand God. 
You've got to understand that he's the one that's in control. So essentially, he's saying, can you see reality? Should have brought up point number two. Realizing holiness or relating to holiness. And then thirdly, he wants you to choose wisely. So listen to Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than those better things than that of Abel. You know, at first when we read that, it's like the imagery has changed and it's all a little confusing at first, isn't it? Because we were running the race, putting forth our effort. God is assisting us. And then he talks about pursuing holiness. And then there's this dark mountain. And then now he says, you've come here and the, and the image changes. There's a mountain, there's a city, there's a multitude with angels. There's the firstborn, there's the spirits of just men made perfect. There's the judge of all, there's Jesus. And then this comparison about blood and Abel. And we kind of have to unpack that and say, well, wait a minute, what's he saying now? Well, first of all, he says you. So he's talking about those ones that are going to read this. And you know what? Oftentimes, we go through sections of Scripture just like this this morning. You know what they would do? They would sit down and they'd read this letter from beginning to end so they'd understand where this fits in. And he's assuming that they understand those Old Testament stories. So you see the comparison that he's making. And so he says, first of all, you have come here. Come where? You've come to Zion. He wants you to think, where are you at now? On this journey, think about where you've come to. You've come to Zion. And once again, he's counting on them understanding that Old Testament history. And we just studied Second Samuel, didn't we? And David conquered Jerusalem. And he made it the political capital. He made it the spiritual capital. And he called it Zion. And then David asked if he could build God a house. And God said no. But he told him his son could. So his son ends up building the temple. And the temple, you know what that represents? That represents that place where God and man can meet. Does that sound remotely familiar? A place where God and man can meet? And he says, you've come to Zion. You've come to this place. And the image changes to a city. And in this city is the living God. And it actually reaches beyond this life. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. And there are untold number of angels. And if you notice this morning when John read, the word was festive or festival. You know what he's describing? And he says there's this general assembly. What he is saying is the firstborn are there. The just spirits of men made perfect are there. The angels are there. And he says this is gathering. And it's like a celebration. And you know what would come to mind for these Hebrew readers? They would think about those Old Testament festivals, those Old Testament gatherings. 
and the joy and the occasion that was going on there. And he would think about this. And he said, where have you come to? You've come to Zion. This is what you've come to. You've come to the celebration. And who's there? The judge of all. The judge of all is there. And Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant, is there. And the sprinkling of blood that speaks better than Abel. You know what he's saying? <laughs> he's repeating what I told him earlier. That Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And those, those sacrifices of those animals was never going to take away their sin. But Jesus' blood does. And he's saying, now, you know where you stand? You stand in the very presence of the judge of all. You stand in the very presence of Jesus. You stand in the very presence of angels. Think about it. You want to go back to that mountain? Or maybe you should stay where you are. Can we see that? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that can be shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. You know what I just said? God shook the earth before. He's going to shake it again. And those things that which have been made, those things which should be, can be taken away, and like that old system, it's going to be gone. And those things in your life that you thought you could build a life on, that weight and that sin, it's going to be gone. And you know what's going to be left? The eternal kingdom that you're receiving. That's what's left. So don't refuse that one who speaks. Because our God is a consuming fire. Don't ignore reality. If you do, you're going to get burned. That's why I say. But now you can serve him with reverence and with godly fear. I'll close with this thought. First John 4 and verse 18. John says, perfect love casts out all fear. <clears throat> now we understand his love for us, our love for him. And we can serve him in reverence and godly fear. That's what the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is talking about. Extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to do that this very day. If you need to make your life right with him, let us know. We want to help you while together we stand and while we sing.